0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today we will be talking to David Fell about his new book, Taiwan's Green Party's Alternative Politics in Taiwan. This book was published by Routledge in 2021. David, welcome to the show.
0: It's a pleasure to be on the podcast.
1: Um, David, uh, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and also your research.
0: Okay, so uh, I work at SOAS, University of London, in the Department of Politics, where I did my PhD. I've, I've been there now um, 20 years. Um, and in addition to uh, teaching classes on Taiwan's politics. I've also been running the Center of Taiwan Studies uh, for also for a couple of uh, decades. And before I joined SOAS, I, uh, I came from a, a Chinese studies background um, and I also spent quite a lot of time in Taiwan, both as a student um, and I worked in Taiwan for about uh, seven years before my PhD. In terms of my research, most of my research has been focused on uh, looking at Taiwan's political parties from a range of, um, uh, of angles, I've, uh, but it's tended to be looking at uh, mainstream parties. So the, uh, the current book that we're talking about uh, today was a slightly uh, different one, looking at an uh, alternative for um, a movement party.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I guess uh, my question will be like, so how do you arrive at this project? You mentioned that usually, uh, I mean, before, previously, your uh, research is more focused on the mainstream politics. But uh, this book is, uh, as the title said, Alternative Politics and specifically about Green Parties. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you started or arrived at this project?
0: Well, I think there's a, um, it was quite a, a, a gradual uh, process. Um, I mean, I'd been interested in Taiwan's political parties since my first visit to Taiwan as an undergraduate student back in 1989, um, seeing the way that um, a number of smaller leftist parties had tried to enter Taiwan's uh, party system. Um, when I came to do my PhD, um, I, I focused on three political parties that were particularly important during the uh, the 1990s, the uh, ruling Kuomintang, the uh, Democratic Progressive Party, and the uh, New Party. And um, we had two mainstream parties there, and we had one small party, the New Party. Um, And what I found interesting there was that Um, uh, the new party didn't really fit the kind of frameworks that I was using for mainstream parties. It often seemed to act in ways that seemed quite irrational, sometimes almost suicidal. So I kind of became interested in how we can um, understand these kind of uh, alternative parties. So not long after I finished that first book, Party Politics in Taiwan, um, I wrote a couple of pieces that looked at Taiwan's um, at small parties back in I think 2005 and I think in in those early pieces I did um, touch upon the uh, Taiwan green Party just a, a couple of short paragraphs. Um, but it was more like a footnote uh, to me at that at that stage. Um, and in the end what actually um, got me to uh, start this project, was one of my own students so um, one of the nice things about the university I work at is that uh, we tend to have quite small classes so we really get to know our students so we'd learn a lot from them uh, particularly when we supervise their dissertation projects and um, one of my former students went on to be a candidate uh, for the Green Party and um, and she stood for election just a couple of months after graduating from um, our master program in food anthropology. And I, I found it really fascinating that someone could stand for national election um, with just a couple of months preparation, because in, in Taiwan's elections, you not only need a lot of money, but you need a lot of um, a, a long uh, campaign to get elected. So that kind of caught my, uh, my interest. And then this uh, former student, Ru, went on to become the co-convener of the Green Party. And she asked um, if I'd be interested in um, getting involved in doing some kind of small-scale um, uh, research on the party in the autumn of 2012. Um, and we put together a, um, a plan for a couple of focus groups, uh, working together with a Taiwanese um, uh, scholar, uh, Peng Yenwen. And uh, the focus groups uh, gathered together uh, groups of former party leaders and candidates and activists. And I just found this uh, these focus groups so interesting, so different from the, uh, the kind of people that I'd been working with on mainstream parties. So uh, passionate, idealistic, uh, often quite um, uh, angry. And um, what I found interesting was the way that um, getting elected for these kind of activists was, not, was often not the most important thing. Often it was actually um, party ideals, um, advocacy that mattered more than getting elected. So that was something quite, um, uh, quite new to me. So that was how the whole project started in December of uh, 2012. So once I, I'd started, I found it hard to, um, to stop. But it was a long process of putting the book uh, together. If, if you think that I started in um, autumn of twenty twelve, and s- submitted the final manuscript about uh, a year ago, in it would be late August of um, uh, twenty twenty, and the book came out in uh, the spring of uh, of this year. So it was a long process, and uh, but very, very um, uh, rewarding. Uh, in in many ways, it, it feels like my second um, uh, PhD.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, thank you for sharing this amazing background and this kind of connection, um, you know, uh, this experience working with your students and also later on uh, your uh, um, um, uh, research uh, with the Taiwanese uh, uh, there as well. So I think, um, can you briefly introduce the Green Party Taiwan? And the, as you mentioned that uh, you found them, you know, uh, very energetic, idealistic, very passionate about their uh, commitment and cause. But at some time, they're also, you know, kind of angry about uh, the situation in Taiwan. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the Green Party Taiwan uh, in terms of its core concern and also uh, maybe the some of the um, major policies that they want to uh, promote?
0: Well, the party itself was established in January of 1996, Um, and the party was uh, created by a group of social movement activists, uh, a mixture of kind of younger, uh, almost wild lily generation uh, activists, as well as slightly more seasoned um, um, martial law era um, uh, activists. And the party was established, I think, partly as a result of a desire in civil society to have a little bit of autonomy from the uh, the main opposition party, the DBP, uh, at that point in time, who were seen as becoming a little bit more conservative. And they had some doubts about how sincere the DBP was uh, regarding environmental and other um, uh, social um, uh, issues. So in terms of the party's core concerns over the last uh, 25 years. Um, I guess one of the most consistent ones has been naturally environmental protection, um, opposition to um, uh, nuclear uh, power. But over time, the party has been quite diverse in some of the issues that it's uh, focused on. Uh, For example, there have been periods of time when it's particularly focused on uh, gender issues. For example, the party was perhaps the first uh, to be led by a a female activist or to have a female party uh, leader. Uh, And also, it was the first party to have a male female co convener um, leadership uh, structure. Uh, It was also the first party to nominate uh, openly LGBT uh, candidates, which, um, and of course, Um, advocating same-sex marriage well before the mainstream uh, political uh, parties. So clearly it's tried to be um, um, quite alternative in a lot of its um, uh, key appeals. I suppose the other thing that I would add is its international engagement. Uh, I think that's another of its core concerns, over the last uh, 25 uh, years, so right from the start, it was engaging with uh, other green parties uh, internationally. Um, in the at, at the time, the party runs its first campaign in 1996. Uh, it's advised by a green party leader from uh, England and Wales, uh, Penny Kemp. And this is the start of uh, a lot of international um, uh, connections. It becomes a founding member of the Global Greens Network, a founding member of the uh, Asia-Pacific uh, Greens uh, Network. Of course, Taiwan's other leading parties also do join these party clubs. Um, but I would say that the participation on, on the uh, Taiwan Greens is a lot more, it's a lot deeper um, because there's a much uh, clearer connection with those kind of global green uh, values between the, uh, the two sides. And a lot of the people I interviewed found that international engagement actually more rewarding than um, joining Taiwanese elections.
1: Yeah, and then um, especially you mentioned this two dimension of the Green Party Taiwan that, you know, this kind of focus and this uh, ongoing continuing involvement in the social uh, movement in Taiwan, especially in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, LGBT uh, issues and also the minority right. But on the other side, also this kind of like uh, uh, connection with outside, that's international engagement that this uh, uh cooperation, and connection to the other uh, international uh, groups as well. So um, with that, um, I was wondering whether you can talk about a little bit more about a Green Party Taiwan, and especially in terms of its election. And you mentioned that one of your students was actually uh, the candidate. So uh, can you give us uh, some uh, kind of this kind of uh, brief uh, picture about a uh, Green Party, Taiwan, their, uh, you know, uh, the history and development of their uh, performance in Taiwan's election?
0: Yeah, well, this is one of the things that I do devote quite a bit of attention to um, uh, in the book, because the book has a number of uh, big questions. Um, uh, and one of the the kind of the big why questions is basically, how do we explain the party's Um, electoral performance uh, since uh, 1996. Um, And there is quite a bit of variation, both across time, but even within um, individual uh, campaigns. So that's one of the things I try to explain. For example, um, why in 1996 uh, do some candidates do particularly well? And in fact, I think one of the things that's quite interesting about that first campaign in 1996 is that... Um, They actually do have a candidate who's actually successful and does enter uh, Taiwan's National uh, Assembly when the party is less than uh, two months uh, old, which I think is an interesting contrast if we compare this to the uh, Green Party of England and Wales, which I think takes something like uh, four decades to enter the the British uh, Parliament, while in the Taiwan case it's uh, less than uh, two months um, but of course um, um, I would say in the book we we see much more discussion of um, failed uh, elections um, and that's one of the things that I do put a lot of um, uh, stress on um, and we see fluctuations over time in the uh, uh, electoral performance, for example we also see a period when the party almost disappears from contesting elections and it's a pattern that's quite common in a lot of Taiwanese small parties: um, failure to uh, win election and then disappearing. But I think what makes the Green Party interesting is that it actually manages to recover from setbacks in the um, late 1990s and then to re-emerge in the 2005-2006 um, uh, um, uh, period and start gradually to uh, become uh, a more competitive. Uh, force in, uh, Taiwan's, um, electoral scene.
1: Yeah. And then, um, this kind of like, um, Um, rise and then also the uh, setback and also this kind of different strategy that the Green Party Taiwan data have to respond to the uh, the, uh, Taiwanese people and also the political uh, landscape as well. And then I'm particularly interested in what you mentioned that Um, they have several setbacks and then also, but they didn't stop there. They actually uh, rebrand and they try to rebuild themselves. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what's their uh, strategy and then how do they uh, rebuild or rebrand themselves?
0: Yeah, that's a a great question. I think in in the book, what we see is multiple attempts to rebuild and rebrand uh, the the party, Um, particularly after uh, periods of less successful um, uh, elections. So, for example, um, when the party collapses after uh, 1998, it takes the party a number of years to uh, to rebuild. And um, one of the uh, the features of that rebuilding is human resources. That com- this comes up again and again uh, in the book. Finding uh, enough uh, candidates to stand. Finding people who will devote the necessary time, um, and what we see in the um, um, uh, the attempt, this first attempt to rebuild the the party, it's um, a group of um, uh, Taiwanese students who would studied in uh, the UK and the US who come back after their uh, doctoral studies, and uh, they're really the uh, the force that kind of uh, creates this kind of rebuilt. Party in 2005, 2006. And we see how they start seeking out potential um, uh, candidates and uh, activists to um, create a new uh, Green Party. And what we see then is a much um, a younger uh, party emerging in uh, in 2005, 2006. But we also start to see a different set of uh, issue appeals. For example, in conjunction with that focus on environmentalism, we start to see a greater focus on uh, gender issues. Um, Part of this is because some of these figures have been involved in um, feminist movements or feminist uh, groups such as the uh, Awakening um, uh, Foundation. Um, And also um, uh, we see some adjustment in terms of focusing on issues that maybe had been uh, neglected. Uh, or that mainstream parties had not been willing to uh, to touch uh, such as uh, same-sex marriage, which I've mentioned earlier, but also issues such as the uh, the death penalty, which is a really controversial uh, issue in Taiwan and even the green party at times has been a little bit cautious about um, advocating uh, lifting the uh, the death penalty. so that was one um, um, example, but it takes the party quite some time to kind of make that shift between just taking part in elections um, and actually becoming uh, competitive and it's a, um, a quite a, um, at times quite a painful um, uh, struggle particularly because um, policy and ideals are so important t- in a movement party
1: Yeah, and then especially you mentioned that the uh, the party members and also leadership they are uh for example involving different uh activists different issues and also the uh you know different dimension that the uh, ruling party then might uh you know overlooks or they might there other uh, uh controversial topic for example death penalty so there's a different issue and different dimension that uh, during their reconstruction uh, effort, they tried to involved and try to uh, deal with uh, in a uh, different uh, situation uh, in Taiwan as well. So uh, with this uh, development and also histories over two or three decades, and uh, I was wondering whether you can talk a little bit about the uh, party itself, how the uh the party uh kind of formation and transformation and especially that uh the title of the book is Green Parties. So this kind of like uh the uh, uh split from the main party or there's this kind of tension within the uh Green Party itself
0: yeah I mean there's a couple of questions um, uh, in in um, in your question there um, I think one of the really th- interesting things about studying green parties is that uh, should we treat them as a political party or should we treat them as um, branches or, or of social movements? And I think this is one of the, um, uh, the reasons why the kind of the literature on green parties is so interesting, because we have both the um, political parties, political science literature, but we also have the uh, social movement uh, literature so it's a really nice kind of um, common kind of combination and I think this kind of enriches the the topic but it also means that it's a topic that um, uh, allows us to make Taiwan interesting to um, international uh, literatures um, in terms of small parties green parties and also um, uh, social movements so for example the first um, time we I published on this topic it was in a book on Taiwanese um, uh, social movements so that is one of the the challenges about looking at the Green Party do we treat it as a social movement or a a political party a lot of my colleagues in kind of mainstream political science in Taiwan um, don't really treat it as a serious um, uh, political party but then it doesn't entirely fit into this kind of social movement um, uh, definitions and the, uh, I guess the one of the other elements of your question was the the plural nature, or uh, uh, the plural element of the title of the the book. The fact that it's called uh, "Green Parties um, uh, in Taiwan," um, and that's partly because um, even though the focus of the book is on the the official uh, Green Party uh, Taiwan, uh, I do devote some space to uh, the for example, the Splinter Party, uh, the Trees Party that splits away from the Green Party in 2014, but also the alliance between the Green Party and the Social Democratic Party um, for the 2016 uh, campaign. When the party does look like it really has that potential um, to make a um, uh, a breakthrough. So, um, So that means that um, one of the topics that I'm talking about in the in the book um, is party splits and uh, party mergers. And again, that's there's another kind of big literature there that the book can um, uh, engage with. Um, and, and I think one of the, the kind of the key lessons of this book is that I think the party has often struggled to deal with disputes or internal disagreements. I think this has been one of the um, the tragedies of the uh, of the story in the book that if the party had been better able to deal with these uh, disagreements, uh, they should have been able to perform um, uh, much better. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, readers will find in the book is that we hear about a lot of arguments, um, and I think that is been that has been a, a a key issue. So, for example, if we take the case of the uh, splinter party, the trees party, uh, the, the split isn't really down to major differences in policy or ideology. To a large extent, um, um, both are very um, environmentally uh, focused, but it's more a matter of a clash of personalities between um, a number of uh, key figures, maybe a clash of Um, what would be the best uh, strategy to uh, develop uh, the party. But this serves to really undermine the uh, party's uh, development because that split uh, means that the party loses key figures in terms of human resources. Um, And I think that really does undermine the party's uh, development.
1: Yeah, and then uh, this kind of like disagreement and then this kind of like argument, this clashes in the uh, party within the party itself. And as you mentioned, one of the example is the three parties, they uh, split away from the Green Party Taiwan. So um, 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 I guess my question is that, uh, so the three parties split away from GPT, do they completely uh, cut off from each other, or there are still some uh, communication and involvement? Seems they are both uh, very uh, involved in the environmental issue. So, uh, what do you? What's your observation?
0: Yes, um, I think a lot of people would have hoped that the parties uh, could have um, uh, worked uh, together. Um, but I think it's, it, um, again, I think it's down to clashes of personalities, but, um, and what we see over time is that, um, the trees party did gradually, uh, fade away. So for example, in the final chapter, I, I do talk about how the trees party, um, uh, eventually was dissolved, uh, I think in 2020. Uh, so the party now ceases to exist. And its key figures have um, um, either dropped out of politics um, or have uh, some have moved to other political parties. And in fact, the um, one of the co-conven- current co-conveners of the uh, Taiwan Green Party uh, is actually a former Trees Party um, uh, candidate. But I think that um, um, one of the things I talk about in the in the final chapter is. Uh, some of the uh, some suggestions for how the party could potentially improve, and one of the things I do talk about is reaching out to some of these um, potential defectors who currently don't have a, a party um, label or belong to some of these parties that have have um, uh, have disappeared. So I think dealing with uh, diverse opinions, dealing with disagreements, I think is a, a key challenge. I think this is something that that features also in. Uh, a lot of international uh, green parties. Um, so one of the things I do try and I did um, try and do in the book is try and think about this question about is Taiwan's green party any different from um, international green parties? And I think we could see a lot of really interesting uh, similarities. Not only in the fact that they argue a lot, uh, but also in terms of the the profile, both of supporters um candidates and uh leaders and we i think we again we see a lot of um uh similarity uh, there because i yeah. do have one chapter where i uh, i look at i uh, i call it the really looking at the who question uh, where i look at what kind of people have stood for the uh the party what kind of people have supported um uh the party and i think that um there um there is there are some clear similarities
1: Yeah, and then um, especially um, uh, when you say this kind of like uh, they uh, the internal uh, conflicts, and then actually you know boil down to this kind of clashes between different personalities, and then how this split actually influence the human resources and the uh, you know resource for the uh, mobilization for their cause as well, and um, and you also mentioned that. you know, the, their cause, right? And then how they uh, can speak to the Taiwanese people. So I was wondering whether you can speak a little bit about the people or, uh, you know, the uh, general uh, reception of Green parties in Taiwan in terms of who is their supporter or who they are trying to speak to. Is it in terms of uh, specific generation or it's in terms of... Um, other different uh, context.
0: Yes. Um, I mean, I think the party has definitely tried to um, appeal to a certain type of uh, voter. Um, it's, they've tended to focus quite a lot on younger voters. I think there's, there's a clear sense that um, younger voters are more receptive to the kind of appeals that the party has been making. And I think this is perhaps one of the reasons why um, the Green Party candidates have tended to be much younger um, on average than the other uh, mainstream political uh, parties. Um, and um, in terms of support, there's, def- there's definitely been a, a focus on uh, urban areas, at least until um, uh, quite, um, uh, quite recently. So the parties tended to be stronger among well-educated uh, voters, urban residents, um uh, also they've tended to be more popular with um uh, voters that have some kind of um social movement experience um with studying a, a small party there are some challenges compared to mainstream parties uh, and one of them is um it's much more difficult to use survey research um uh, and that's one of the reasons why in the book, survey research is quite a limited uh, resource because the uh, the sample is quite um, uh, limited. But what we what I tried to do here was to to also interview party members and party uh, supporters to try and get a, a kind of a profile of the typical uh, Green Party uh, supporter. And I think overall, it looks quite similar to those of Green Party supporters in uh, in European uh, cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this uh, kind of less general uh, profile or background of their supporters seems to be younger generation or the voters who uh, is more uh, aware or more involved in the uh, social uh, movement and uh, tended to kind of concentrate in the urban area, urban uh places as well. So, um, do you think, um, because I think, uh, one of the very, uh, interesting, um, um, phenomena about green parties is that their, uh, candidates and also their, uh, party politicians seem to receive a lot of public attention. I mean, in Taiwan and also, uh, in your book as well, like, uh, in uh, other places that small party politicians uh, seem to receive more public attention. And the, in the case of Taiwan, I wonder whether it's because their uh, supporters, their voters are more active in terms of social media or why not, or they have more attention in the mass media. So, what do you think in terms of why their uh, party politicians or their uh, um, their uh, members seem to receive more attention in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a um, um, it's a tricky question because there's kind of two different uh, dimensions here. I think one of the things that comes through in a lot of the field work on on this um, uh, for this book was how difficult it, it was to actually get mainstream media attention because the um, mainstream media was just so focused on national politics, and also on the mainstream uh, political parties. And one of the things that we find is that uh, where Green Party candidates do manage to get mainstream uh, media attention, it has a huge impact on how they perform um, uh, uh, electorally. Often it is um, a a critical variable in um, uh, electoral uh, performance. But I think that um, Green Party figures have had to work quite hard. So I think that uh, often they've engaged in stunt politics um, to kind of um, a little bit like uh, the uh, Dang Y politicians of the late martial law uh, era, um, engaging in stunts to try to gain mainstream media attention. For example, um, in one chapter, I talk about how a Green Party leader in the uh, 1996 missile crisis, goes out um, into the uh, the Chinese missile test zone uh, to show um, to protest against uh, the Chinese threat against um, uh, against Taiwan. So just showing that um, we are as tough as the other uh, parties when it comes to um, to China. So I think that has been quite important. But I think the other element to why um, some Green Party politicians have been able to get uh, attention is because they're so different. Um, In other words, that they've been willing to actually um, uh, advocate on issues that mainstream parties um, wouldn't touch. Um, And I think that has been um, an important factor, Uh, even if if this gains uh, critical uh, attention. Um, So I think that is um, just being different I think is a way of gaining um, uh, attention. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, movement parties like the Green Party really do matter because they bring something uh, different. They bring um, diversity into Taiwan's uh, party system, which at times can seem quite um, dry and dull. And I think if we, um, again, if I look at the um, uh, interviews of party supporters, often it's the fact that uh, the Green Party uh, is not a mainstream party. It's just so different from um, the mainstream parties that gives it that uh, diverse um, uh, image.
1: Yeah they seem to be you know providing another angle or uh sh- uh you know shift the spotlight to other issues that has been ignored by the society or by the ruling party so yeah totally agree that you know they 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 care uh, about different issue but uh, even though it's different but it's still very important and critical uh, issues uh, in Taiwan and um I'm particularly interesting in uh, your description about green Party Taiwan as a movement party so earlier we talked about green Party Taiwan and it has it, it's in a uh, this very interesting case that there are literature about it as a political party. There's also literature about this uh, party as social movement. And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Green Party Taiwan and as a movement party? And then uh, how do you think this influence the mainstream politics in Taiwan?
0: Yes. Um the party is, is, is created by social movement um, activists um, with that kind of a clear idea of it being a, a mouthpiece uh, or spokesperson for uh, Taiwan's uh, social movements, both uh, in terms of gender, uh, indigenous, um, and environmental. But I think one of the things that comes out of the, the research is often there's a tension between the party uh, and uh, and social movements. Um, at, at times, the party has been accused of trying to take advantage of uh, social movements. Um, and and of course, social movements um, at times have been quite disappointed with the performance of the um, uh, the Green Party. So I think this has been a, a constant uh, challenge for the party. And of course, the the other actor in this game is the dbp um because the DVP tends to be um um more supportive of many um progressive social movements compared to the the other mainstream uh, political party so um uh, and of course the DVP itself um emerges f- from a coalition of social movements during the the martial law um uh, era so i think that this um Movement party nature um, does create both opportunities and challenges for the uh, the party. Um, uh, it creates a challenge in the focus on advocacy as being more important potentially than winning elections. And I think that, uh, again, throughout the book, we see this um, dilemma between which one should we focus more on, advocacy or getting elected? How do they get the right balance between these, um, uh, these two? And uh, even if we look about the debates within the party after the 2020 election, we can still see this uh, debate uh, going on about how to get the um, uh, which one to prioritize the movement route or the uh, election um, uh, route.
1: Yeah, this, um, this, uh, balance or this, uh, struggle to balance between, you know, focus on advocacy or this, uh, energy to win election and then how this party, uh, move on in terms of social activism, but also, you know, itself as a party has to win election, uh, gather votes and to make impact, uh, politically as well. So this, uh, struggle or this kind of tension, uh, in the party but also you know criticism from outside so I was wondering can you share with us maybe some of the cases uh you know especially in your interview you uh, interview some of the members and leaders uh, in the parties and um can you give us some example in terms of this kind of clash or this kind of tension between uh the members or the leadership uh in the uh, development of the party
0: Yes. Okay. Um, In terms of clashes, I think one of the um, frequent clashes is about what should the party's relationship be with the DBP, which is the other um, um, slightly more progressive of the the two mainstream uh, parties. So that's a a constant uh, challenge. Should we be entirely uh, independent Autonomous of the DBP or should we at times have some limited cooperation um, with the um, uh, with the party? So a lot of the arguments that we see within the party are related to uh, that relationship. Um, for example, let me give you one case. In 2012, a Green Party candidate uh, has an informal agreement with the dbp to um, where the DPP allows the Green Party to stand against the, the KMT in a parliamentary uh, district and part of that bargain is that the um, um, the DBP will support this this candidate um, and um, there will be a kind of a tacit support for the DVP's um, uh, presidential uh, candidate um, and um, this creates a lot of arguments within the uh, the party. Uh, about whether there should be this kind of informal alliance with the, the DP or the party should be should maintain its uh, purity. So, when I first started doing my uh, field work, it was this um, later on that same year as this um, uh, this case in um, in Taipei in a Taipei City parliamentary um, uh, election, and even then, um, would have been um, almost a year later. There was still so much anger about that um, cooperation with the uh, the DVP. Um, however, um, um, we've seen in the case of the New Power Party that it is actually possible to have a degree of cooperation with the DVP, but still to maintain um, uh, autonomy. Um, and it's also possible that the party takes it too far in terms of its cooperation with the uh, the DVP; that it becomes too uncritical. And that can also lose um, uh, party support. So, for example, in the 2020 uh, election, uh, some party figures felt that the party had been too uncritical in its alliance with the uh, the DBP. But despite this um, uncritical stance uh, in the way that for the first time the, uh, the Green Party did support a DBP presidential uh, candidate, but it didn't actually get anything in return. In other words, it didn't get a... Um, a seat to contest against the um, or district to contest against the um, um, uh, the KMT. So, um, so this is one of the things I do spend quite a bit of time discussing about uh, how to in uh, how mistakes were made in party alliances, not only between the Green Party and the DVP, but also between the Green Party and other uh, smaller parties.
1: Yeah, and then this is. Uh- um, this is a, a, a difficult balance, right? Like how you you want like connection and collaboration um, with other parties, but in the case that Green Party and DPP seems that there's a lot of uh, uh, criticism involved in the model or in the trajectory of that uh, cooperation, and. Um, can you also tell us a little bit about the, uh, the tension between the alliances that Green Party attempt to make with the smaller party? So uh, you uh, explained the alliances they made with DPP, but how about with other small uh, parties and groups?
0: Yeah, well, the, the Green Party has tried to create uh, alliances with small parties on a number of um, occasions. For example, the 2008 campaign was described as a uh, red-green alliance, a little bit like the uh, the German um, uh, red-green um, uh, alliance. Um, in that case, they were working together with a um, a labour movement uh, group, um, but it, again, it uh, it wasn't particularly successful, and again, there were tensions um, there. Um, we also see an alliance in um 2016 when there's the creation of this green party social democratic party um, alliance for the 2016 national uh, elections and in theory this should have been a um, great breakthrough because the um the party had strong candidates it was better funded uh, but a lot of the um um the problem with that campaign was the inability to work together with this other uh, small party. And we see um, um, a lot of um, uh, discussion of those arguments um, about this alliance and the way this alliance um, uh, operated. So there again we can see it's not only the inability to deal with internal conflict, but also to deal with uh, alliances Um, And instead, that year in 2016, it's a brand new party, the new power party that enters parliament, rather than the much older and experienced um, uh, Green Party. Um, And we see um, similar issues when it comes to the 2020, um, the most recent uh, election, um, when, um, um, again, the party potentially could have worked together with uh, other movement parties Uh, for example with the uh, state building party and they did um, hold uh, discussions uh, and they also held discussions with the social democratic party for the uh, 2020 election but in both cases these discussions fell through um, and it meant that in 2020 the party stood uh, on its own and if we if we look at the state building party plus the Green Party's uh, party list vote share in 2020. If we combine the two, then it did, uh, it would have got, or potentially could have got, over the critical 5% which you need to enter uh, parliament on the, uh, on the party list. So I think a lot was down to um, uh, failures in negotiation between other potential um, uh, partners. And even as early as the 1998 case, I talk about some potential um, collaborative opportunities that, again, uh, didn't uh, work out. So I think that um, for Taiwan to really have a competitive alternative party, it does take, uh, it will need greater coordination, a willingness to compromise, um, while just having these multiple smaller parties. Uh, limits their ability to really kind of um, um, transform the, the party system.
1: Yeah. And then it's, it sounds like the challenges are from multiple fronts, uh, internally within the uh, members and leadership itself, but also, uh, externally in terms of, uh, cooperation, uh, within, uh, with, uh, mainstream or other small parties and how to, uh, you know, kind of move on with their also, uh, the social movement that they care about in, the uh, political uh, landscape as well.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I think you're, yeah. you're right. Um, I mean, one of the things I was going to follow up on was that um, I, I would say that the overall market for alternative parties has grown compared to when the party starts out in 1996. Uh, but in 1996, the Green Party is the probably the only alternative party uh, with a smaller uh, market. But if we look at today, then... Um, even though the um, potential market for these kind of movement parties is, is much larger, but the, the field has become much more competitive because there are more competitors um, competing for that um, increased... I would say that the, the probably the market for alternative parties is something like uh, roughly 20% of the Taiwanese um, uh, electorate. Um, but there's just... Um, um, too many competitors, and will the DBP, will the Green Party be one of the most successful of those? Uh, is the big challenge for the future?
1: Yeah, and then especially this, uh, um, this, as you mentioned, this competition, um, not just from the mainstream party, but also within the other smaller uh, party themselves, and then especially in that competition, and then they have all the challenges for cooperation or for. Uh, you know, developing together. So that's, you know, um, the a different uh, difficulty and also a crisis uh, that, uh, you know, we still need to observe and then uh, um, see what will happen uh, in the future. And, you um, in your book, you mentioned that you have several observations and also suggestion in terms of, you know, how the Green Party, uh, the electoral failure can actually be, uh, you know, avoided or, you know, can be um, sort of uh, um, not that uh, uh Uh, Impact or uh, disastrous impact. So you mentioned, uh, you know, one of them is to, you know, reach out to earlier, uh, reach out to members who left to go to other parties or the Green Party and then sort of to sort of uh, recruit them back to mobilize those human resources. So any other suggestions and observation that uh, uh, in terms of this, uh, uh, you know, to... Uh, rebuild or to avoid electoral failure
0: yeah um, i mean i think this is one of the things that makes this project quite different from um, my earlier research because um, i think when you um, study um, a movement party it's much easier to get involved and not be entirely um, unbiased Um, and i and i think that um Um, in my previous studies i've never really kind of come up with suggestions Um, but in this case i did find myself wanting to try and produce some uh, suggestions and i think that uh, probably when i we do have the chinese version of this book it probably will have uh, that probably will be elaborated in a a little bit more um, uh, detail but in terms of suggestions um, one of them that I uh, do discuss a little bit in the final uh, chapter is about uh, dealing with the relationship with mainstream parties because um, one of the things about Taiwan's mainstream parties is that they also want to take advantage of the small parties. They would be there um, and one of the ways they do this is by poaching. Um, um, what they see as being strong uh, movement party politicians so for example my former student who invited me to start this project back in 2012 um, was later um, uh, poached by the uh, the DBP uh, the leader of the social democratic party who worked together with the green party also was later um, uh, poached by the the DBP. so how do you, how to retain uh, your human resources I think is a, an important uh, challenge as well as, Reaching out to bring back uh, former um, uh, activists and and politicians. Um, Another kind of area that I talk about a little bit in the conclusion is organization. Um, And this has been an area where uh, movement parties have often been quite weak in terms of having um, institutionalized um, party organization, party branches um and, and that's an area where I think the party uh, does need to um, uh, invest more uh, of its limited resources improving fundraising is another one that I touch um upon because um against throughout my interviews this issue of um, money came up again and again or lack of of, of money because time elections are quite um expensive so creating um efficient fundraising um, uh, systems, I think again is an important uh, lesson, but of course, caution is needed here um, 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 finding funders who have similar ideals I think is really um, uh, important and uh, and challenging and not um, selling your soul to get uh, elected and that was why that one of the chapters. Um, I talk about being uh, whether the party is selling its soul or it's um, uh, uh, getting elected. Um, um, this is something really important, I think, for a uh, idealistic party such as the um, uh, the Green Party.
1: Yeah, you mentioned this uh, different suggestions and different observation in terms of, you know, connection or interaction with the mainstream party and it also to uh, remodel the organization or specifically the fundraising, but at the same time, also be cautious about where that funding coming from and then be still reflecting about uh, the the structure of the party uh, itself. And um, so... uh, I was wondering, can you uh, share with us your uh, sort of uh, what do you think about the uh, future development of alternative parties in Taiwan? So uh, you mentioned that, you know, from the 96, I mean, 1996 to nowadays, you know, it become more uh, uh, vibrant, become, uh, you know, bigger and bigger, more and more parties. But now we seem to, at the point that each party, I mean, the alternative parties, they are in competition. So do you see this competition might continue or do you see that there's uh, maybe some possibility of, you know, uh, more alliances or uh, connection uh, in the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the big test, I think, will come in the local elections of uh, 2022. Um, can these uh, alternative parties find some way of working together or will they uh, undercut uh, each other? Um, that is the um, one of the big questions. I think that really will uh, depend on uh, leadership because generally what seems to happen is that um, the local elections are a critical platform for getting ready for the next round of uh, uh, local elections. Um, uh, elections. Um, When I finished the book, I was cautiously optimistic. I think if I'd um, finished the book after the 2016 election, probably my conclusions would have been a lot more um, uh, pessimistic uh, because the mood in the party was um, uh, quite different. But um, I find it difficult to say too much about the current state of the party partly because I've just not been back to Taiwan for uh, so long so my last field work I think was in September of uh, 2018 um and then for the 2020 election um I was largely relying on online sources and doing um online um interviews um so um, that's part of the reason why I only speak quite briefly about the post 2020 um, rebuilding or rebranding um uh, although overall I was quite pleased with the the trends particularly the way that the party tries to reconnect with social movement uh, groups that have been alienated in the um, previous, uh, couple of, of years. So I think mending those bridges, I think, is, is really important, and I think it's really quite um, uh, encouraging. But I think that... Um, and, I, and I guess one of the reasons for doing the book and for having suggestions is the hope that uh, the book might have some kind of uh, value um, in terms of giving the party international attention, but potentially um, bringing um, uh, allowing the party to talk about some of the uh, the challenges or reforms that might be needed, I think that um, it's possible that the um, uh, the Chinese version may get um, uh, greater readership in Taiwan because, of course, like a lot of academic books, um, it's out in hardback, it's in English, and even where the e-book is available, it tends to only really be university uh, libraries um so i haven't so far uh, originally my hope was to kind of do um to go to taiwan after the book came out and and do some kind of book uh talks but i think i may wait until the chinese version um um comes out for the uh, the taiwan side so so far my um the talks that i've been doing on the book and the podcasts uh, have mainly been in english and mainly for academic audiences although i am trying to change that. So, for example, um, uh, I think next month I'm doing a talk with a um, a British Green Party uh, group.
1: Yeah, it sounds really uh, amazing because, uh, you know, there's all the different connections and also impact this book uh, can make that, you know, uh, looking forward to this uh, Chinese version and then to reach uh, much, much more uh, audience and readership. And as you mentioned, also like different talks and then uh, different uh uh, interaction, uh, as you mentioned, maybe with with uh, other uh, Green parties, uh, internationally as well. So uh, definitely looking forward to see the uh, more impact of uh, this book. And uh, also, uh, this book is uh, in the uh, Routledge Taiwan Studies series, and David, you are the uh, series editor of um, this Taiwan Studies. Uh, series in Routledge. So uh, I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about these uh, Taiwan Studies series in Routledge and uh, how uh, this uh, series, the goal and also the purpose?
0: Well, um, the uh, as I mentioned at the at the start, I've been involved in um, uh, Taiwan Studies for a couple of decades now, and I think one of the things that we've been trying to do in uh, in the center that I'm um, involved in is promoting Taiwan Studies in different ways. Uh, so, th- for example, through teaching, um, through organising academic events, but also through uh, publication. So I think it was back in, I think, 2009 that we created this uh, this book series. Partly we felt that um, uh, there was something missing in the Taiwan Studies uh, field. There had been a a a Taiwan series at M.E. Sharp. And that, but that seemed to have faded away uh, by the um, uh, early 2000s. So that was one of the reasons for creating this series. And it seemed at the time that the, the field of Taiwan studies was very, very vibrant. Um, uh, a lot of great research was being uh, done, but we were kind of hoping that we kind of, could kind of bring together um, um, a group of, publish, of publications with this this series, and I think it's been um, one of the things I feel particularly proud about. Um, and I think we've now published. I think by the end of this year, we'll have published about thirty eight books uh, since the um, the series was created. And we've the books have been quite diverse in terms of the kind of topics that we've been um, uh, we've been covering. So for example, for example, this year um, we have a book on. Uh, contemporary Taiwan indigenous studies. We have a book on uh, Taiwanese music. Um, uh, Last year we had one on uh, mainlander uh, Taiwanese uh, literature. Uh, So it's been quite uh, diverse. And it's, again, it's one of these things that I really enjoy about being involved in the Taiwan studies field. So I'm a, a political scientist. I work in a politics department but by getting involved both in the series and also in uh, European Taiwan Studies, um, it means that I'm kind of exposed to uh, so many different uh, disciplines uh, with a Taiwan uh, focus. And I think it's one of the reasons why um, I I found um, being in this Taiwan Studies field so enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and this is indeed such a great... uh, uh... Book series in Routledge, like as you mentioned, this kind of diversity of different disciplines and different fields, and all the uh, writers, their different perspectives on Taiwan and also the research on uh, Taiwan studies as well. So, uh, definitely uh, recommend our uh, audience to check out the series. And, uh, David, you also mentioned earlier you are the director of the Center of Taiwan Studies at SOAS University of London. And, do you want to? Uh, introduce a little bit about the activities that uh, uh, the center uh, have or other uh, initiatives uh, the about Taiwan Studies?
0: Yes. Well, I was quite fortunate that when I left Taiwan to start my PhD in 1999, um, that was just at the moment when the Taiwan Studies program was starting off uh, at SOA. So I arrived just at the right time. So it meant that I could join the first classes as a student. Um, and then I did my postdoc at, at SOAS. And gradually over time, we've been able to kind of expand the, uh, the Taiwan Studies uh, program. Um, again, doing a mix of these those kind of three kind of core things, uh, teaching on Taiwan, uh, running Taiwan Studies events, um, and promoting uh, publications. Um, and um, in addition, of course, to the, the book series, um, I think another real important indicator of the state of the field is the, um, the creation of that Taiwan Studies Journal, the International Journal of Taiwan Studies, that's edited by one of our uh, research associates, um, uh, Mingye Rawnsley. So um, um, it's a really exciting um, um, time. I've, I've talked about this kind of golden era of Taiwan uh, studies. Um, And I think if we just look at it from the perspective of uh, my university's center, we can see how um, a center has been, has evolved from maybe just having a few events a year to uh, running something like 60 or 70 um, events um, a year. And what we try and do is run events that um, are linked to our teaching program. So we have something like um, we have an MA in Taiwan Studies and we have about six postgrad and four undergrad uh, Taiwan focused um, uh, modules. Um, so, trying to make sure that these different elements uh, publication, ideally publishing things in the series that can be used for teaching, running events that will be useful for uh, teaching, and then hoping that our graduates uh, can. Uh, stay in the field in some way. In other words, they can do something um, um, that's related to their studies on Taiwan. So for example, um, uh, some of our graduates have gone on to uh, work in the diplomatic sector or in the media sector. Uh, That can be very, very um, uh, rewarding. Um, Of course, one challenge this year has been coping with um, the COVID crisis, um, and that um, that meant kind of shifting to online teaching and online uh, events. So one of the things we're quite excited about now is kind of going back into the into the classroom. Um, and um, will we be able to run in person academic events uh, this year? as we've got so used to doing um, on- online. Um, uh, events.
1: Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing with us all this very exciting uh, project and also uh, activity as well. And also uh, thank you, David, for your work on promoting Taiwan studies in teaching, in publication, and also as the uh, series editor as well. So um, here comes our uh, last question. That is the traditional final questions here at the New Books Networks. So uh, can you share with us um, what you are working on right now or what your uh, next project is?
0: Well, I think when we finish a book, we often want to move on to the next, um, um, uh, next project. But in this case, I'm not quite there yet. In other words, I'm still in this kind of Um, uh, transition uh, period Um, I've um, with my first book I didn't do any kind of book promotion Um, but this time I've really kind of uh, taken the book promotion a a lot more seriously I don't know I think I must have done about 15 or 20 different um, promotional talks or podcasts uh, for this, uh, this book and I'm kind of getting ready for um, another series of aut- an autumn tour on the book. So that's one of the reasons why I'm not um, uh, quite ready for the new project. I, I suppose the other thing I would add is that um, I've been working on the Chinese version of the book, which is for me is really exciting um, because um, rather than being a direct translation, uh, I'm working together with three uh, former party uh, leaders. Who um, played roles in the party at different stages in the party's uh, history. Um, And um, so we're working on rewriting the book, but bringing in their perspectives. So uh, that has been, it's been, the progress has not been as fast as I would uh, like, uh, but it's been something very, very um, uh, new and different. Um, I think co authoring can be really, really um, uh, interesting. Um, a little bit like um, uh, learning how to deal with different um, uh, opinions. So I'm really excited about how this is developing because I've um, I've never actually published any um, of my books in Taiwan in Chinese. So um, um, and it will be great to actually do um, a um, a book tour of the Chinese version of the, uh, of the book. It's just a question of whether we can put it, um, bring it all together, because, of course, we're all uh, very busy uh, people.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing this uh, project because it sounds fantastic that in a way that it's a Chinese version, so it will definitely reach uh, more uh, readers and audience, different communities, but also this uh, project to co-write and to cooperate with the uh, party leaders in this version as well. So definitely looking forward to your your, uh, Chinese uh, version and then also all other upcoming projects. So uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today and then uh, share with us your uh, new book and then uh, zoom in in uh, different moments and also different uh, uh, development uh, of the Green Party Taiwan's, and also the uh, alternative politics in Taiwan as well. I appreciate your time and really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks. It's been a pleasure to uh, discuss this really fascinating topic.
1: Thank you. And so I want to thank our uh, listener as well. So we will see you next time. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.